Hello, I'm Tracy Carlton Ward and this is Sweat, Grit and Hustle. Welcome. On today's show, I'm joined by a friend and fellow business contact from my business networking. That is a brilliant young man called David Wright of Wright Building Design Services. Yeah. So welcome, David. Hi, Tracy. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Now, prior to us starting off doing the recording, I was just checking some of my facts from what I know about David personally, and I learned something really new, which I know we're going to hear about today, but this is a young gentleman that finished school, went into the construction industry, and then at the age of 23 decided, you know, you didn't have to keep doing construction, you could go and do something else, and then went off to uni and college at 23, 24, was it, David? So uh, for all of you out there listening, thinking, I want to start a business, but I left school, didn't go on to further education. You know what? This is a brilliant story about it doesn't matter. You can do it later on in life. So David, tell us about, you know, you getting to school and deciding what to do when you got out in the brave big world. Yeah, so I went to school uh, and I was studying chemistry, biology, physics. I was going to go and be a biochemist at Lancaster University. I gave up. I was had enough with the university or education, as it were, and I decided that I need to do something different. And as I was playing rugby at the time, I was physically strong, so I thought, you know what, I can use that strength to go and shift bricks on site. That turned into a six-year diversion, which was quite fun. Um, and I spent four or five years just working trying to work out what I really wanted to do, but I found it interesting to get into the nuts and bolts of how to put a building together. But I was doing ceiling fixing and partitioning, um, to dry lining really. And then through that process, I decided I wanted to become a site manager potentially. So I looked at the built, built environment courses at York College um, and they offered a, a, a HNC in a construction of the built environment. So I decided to take that on. And that, within that, there was a design element, which was to design a huge housing scheme for a building developer in York and the challenge you had was to build on a floodplain so we decided to as a group project pull up, put this through and as me and two other fellow designers came together pulled it out of the bag really enjoyed it and that really sparked it off really I thought I want to go to university so during the process researched what the options were this is where the debate of architects or architectural technologists came up um and I've had a look through it all and becoming an architect to me looked like it was a very elongated process and having a chat with a few people, I realized that it wasn't really me either. I wasn't a particularly artsy or drawing type person um, and the technologist really did suit me a bit better. It's more technically focused earlier on in your educational background. And that really suited me. From my background, my understanding of building materials, it gave me an opportunity to really excel and show off a little bit. But within that also, you had the design element. You could design beautiful, pretty buildings. Um, and I went from there, really. Cool. Interesting enough, bit of an aside, but you talk about York and the floodplain stuff you're doing. I was reading an article. Um, it was either a news story or one of the papers or internet. York, a couple of weeks ago, started moving some very, I don't know if it was rare or very special beetle, but York were moving beetles to get them out of the flood zone to protect them so it just reminded me of that when you talked about york and flood zone but the thing i'm interested in because i know it's popped up before when we've been doing our business networking you know as many of the listeners know i do stuff with property and 
I wasn't sure from a property person's point of view, what would be the difference between an architect and an architect technologist? When you're looking for an architect or an architectural technologist or any architectural designer, you should guarantee or should find referrals through people that you already know, people that they've already worked with in the past, um, because that's where you get a really good feel for how they're going to be with you and whether they'll fit your project. Once you've got them in an environment where you're actually talking to them, ask them insurance policy documents, ask them if they've had any successes in the past, any sort of anything that's given them a bit of trouble. Give them a bit of an interview, really. Ask them how they've overcome some of their difficulties because those are the times when if they try and hide stuff from you or hide information or maybe not be necessarily open, it might be a red flag or it might give you the sort of ability to read them a bit better. But yeah, that's where I'd start, really. So effectively, if I'm doing an extension on another floor, I, I could choose which way to go. Perfect. Love it. Now I'm going to take you back a little bit because you mentioned something sort of in fleeting, which was that you were into rugby. So was that something you were looking at to do professionally or was it just an interest in sports? So I played rugby for uh, be over 12, 13 years. Um, I started at 13. I switched from football to rugby um, because I wanted something a bit more challenging, uh, a bit more physical. So I excelled at that really well. I uh, played county for Leicester and I played county for East Riding as well. Um, did a little bit of Tigers Academy stuff, early early stuff, which was really good. Really enjoyed it. It was just being with a team and really getting involved in moving forward the training. And then I also moved into coaching as well when I was a little, when I was 22. I coached my little brother's rugby team. And that was really rewarding, teaching somebody else how to do the things that you were doing and taught you how to break down those skills that you have and then teach them to somebody else, which I've also found quite useful when I've been training people within my employment as well. I've had to, how do you do a whole part, whole training methodology? And it's removing certain aspects, reteaching it and then asking them to apply it again. Very interesting. It's quite interesting to get involved in that training aspect of it as well. And I know we might hear some more on that later because I know at the minute you're bringing on new people into your business. So we'll learn more about that later. So there you were, you were on site fixing ceilings. You got interested in actually the way buildings were put together and you went off to university, got your qualification, which that in itself was quite interesting because you were what, 23, 24 at the time when you went to uni? 23, 24, I went to university and then I did a placement year between placement a placement between first and second year and a placement year between second and third year. So all in all, I was supposed to spend four years doing my degree. I ended up taking six. In my placement year, I ended up breaking my wrist in a motorcycle accident, oh. which few, uh, threw, um, put some spanners in the works, I suppose. And really, I ended up dropping out of university in my final year at Christmas to having an operation. And I found employment in the February after that, so February 2017, um, and yeah, got employment and from there decided to go part-time at university. So take my final year over two years, so six years doing my, my degree. Oh, yeah. So yeah. I had four years of experience by the time I finished, which was pretty <laughs> good. And I was running, by the end of my degree, I was running £1.3 million projects on site on my own. Wow. So what was it like being at uni, 23, 24 years old, when the other kids around you are probably 18 to 20. Very strange. <laughs> I have to say it was, 
it was good because I got to meet some very different people and I was quite lucky in my halls that I was with mature students in first year. But from then on, I made some very good friends within the architecture course. I actually had very much stronger friendships with people on architecture course than I did on architectural technology course. Um, whether I don't know why, but that was quite good. Uh, they're more sociable, I think. Um, and yeah, I went from there, really. Wow. So um, did you get to join in a lot of the stuff that most university kids do, you know, getting in the halls, going out on, what is it, Freshers Week? I did everything. <laughs> <laughs> what else do you do? 24. It's still quite a young person, yeah. really. Um Men don't really mature until uh, never. <laughs> <laughs> so it was good. It was good fun to be around and actually have a chance to sort of break out because I took work quite seriously. So it was nice to break away from it and give life a bit of a break. <laughs> yeah, and I can just I can just imagine the listeners, the women going, "Yeah, we knew men didn't mature," and the blokes going, "What are you talking about? Of course we're mature." <laughs> I always love it when we get a little bit of controversy there. So. Um, okay, so you finished uni, you went part-time, so presumably, did was that just a placement or did you ultimately get employed by that company? I was full-time employed by them, so I was doing, for my degree, I was doing four days a week work and one day a week at university and then working around that. And then when I finished my degree, I was moving on to a full-time contract um, and went from there, I was with them for a year and a half after that. Cool. So whilst you were there employed doing the nine to five, so to speak, what was the best project that crossed your desk? There's two really interesting ones. One was a swimming pool extension project uh, for a wealthy client in Leeds, where I was on site two or three times a week and I was in control of the interior design aspect as well. And the client had a very technical grasp of what he wanted so I had then the job of trying to make that fit his building, make it work. He was very much into his audiovisual. So it's where can we hide speakers was quite a lot of the discussion. Um, and then I also did a industrial project over in Dinnington, which was a, it's a Hodge Clemco. And they had a building fire, knocked down their existing building. And then I took that building project on from planning onwards delivered it on site with the main contractor. It was wow. quite good. So in, interesting, you talk about um, the building where you were hiding speakers. I know you and I have talked before about a, a little garden project that has happened as you've got your own business, but it's quite an interesting one. Um, and that is a client who decided they want to spend an awful lot of money doing their garden, yeah, hard landscaping, etc. Um, and as I recall the story, they weren't totally clear about what they wanted and they kept changing their mind. So the question I've got for you is if somebody out there is working with a, a architect or a technologist, what's the best way they can make sure that they're, they're making sure their idea is getting across to the person that they're working with? Have a go at sketching. It sounds silly, but actually try and draw it yourself. If you're trying to describe something to somebody, words only get so far. If you can find an image or if you can sketch out yourself, you'll communicate with yourself what you're actually looking for. You will also have an understanding of what that designer is looking at themselves. If they're trying to interpret what you're saying and they're looking at similar images, great. If they're looking at something completely different, then you know there's a bit of a gap there that you want to communicate more effectively so it's down to communication but also communicate communicating with yourself 
to understand what you're looking at. And if you can't find an image at all, then the designer is not likely to find that image either. So are, are you asking for an impossible dream or is it something that doesn't exist yet? Is there a gap? I don't know. Yeah, and I suppose it doesn't matter how good or bad the sketch is, the designer, the architects can actually grab something from that, are they? We all started somewhere drawing something with scrappy bits of paper in architecture school in year one. No one could really sketch. Now we can all kind of sketch. So we're used to reading scrappy bits of paper. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to say, I've been in the construction industry, we're used to reading off back of a cigarette packet as well, which is always a good one. So there you were, you've been working with this company, employed by them, and at the grand old age of 30, 31, you decided to go off and set your own business. Where did that all come from? We were, well, we went through the pandemic, or we started the pandemic, and we were put into a position where I think... As a company, it was very difficult for them to, well, it was difficult to work in. So we were all furloughed. Um, but at the same time, the construction industry saw a boom. There's a lot more interest in small residential projects. And the commercial stuff took a nail on the head. And the practice I worked for was mainly commercial projects. So in the same vein, I had domestic, good domestic architecture experience. So I started getting more inquiries from people that I knew who wanted work doing. Uh, I had a someone ask me about a barn refit and a outdoor play area for a project, and from there I asked. Well, I went through that discussion with them, and they wanted me to then work with them on that project. From there, it was a no-brainer. Really, they offered me a six-month contract, and they were asking for project management uh, liaison as well, so dealing with their contractors on site. It gave me my base, so I took the very scary step of saying to my employer, I've been given a better offer. Unfortunately, I don't really want to sit around and do nothing on furlough. So I'm going to go and do something, challenge myself a little bit. And yeah, I had the time to do it. Now that that was brave because there you were on furlough and I'm sure other listeners might have been in a position where they were on furlough and you were giving up a guaranteed payment to sit around doing nothing to go to that brave new scary world of let's create a business. Yeah, it was scary, but on the same vein, I suppose within that company, I was given a lot of responsibility. I was training staff, doing my own accounts. I got used to accounting software. So I understood what profit, loss, VAT, I understood what all of these things meant. You don't get the opportunity very often. I took hold of it, took lots of responsibility before the pandemic and then made made a lot of sense just to, okay, I can do it myself now. Brilliant. I'm gonna I'm gonna go back to the the project you mentioned, the barn conversion with the play area, yeah. Because when I first heard about this, I'm imagining somebody's barn that they're converting to a home, and there's maybe a little small play space in the garden. This is not the case, folks. Is this the one where they even built a climbing wall? That's the one. Yeah. So you know. This is, if you're going to dream about what you do when you've got you know income that is beyond what you need, so this family had a barn conversion, created this play space. It was a huge space, including a climbing wall, and it was for what purpose, David? The family were restricted by the pandemic. They've got lots of uh, the owner has many adult children. Um, and they've got subsequent children, so grandchildren. They wanted somewhere for the whole family to be 
in the summer and subsequent summers as the pandemic rolled on. So that was the brief. We need somewhere to enjoy. A lot of them were keen climbers or are keen climbers. Um, and that was part of it. And then we also built a really big indoor soft play area for children. It's three three floors of children's soft play within this barn. And I think it's probably four and a half meters tall at its lowest point, if that makes sense. Yeah, what a phenomenal place to be in though, you know, being in a space where you can choose to do something like that, which is why many of us are in business because, you know, we want to create nice homes, places for the kids. But I, lo- I love that story, a play space that is actually probably bigger than some commercial soft play centers. <laughs> Certainly up there, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I always loved that story. So there you were, you set off, you set up your own business and um, it, if I'm right in thinking, well, let me ask you, what is your business called? It's Right Building Design. Yeah, I was. I couldn't remember if the design bit was in there or not, which I should know by now, having been on a meeting with you every Friday the past year. Um, so you set up your own business, you'd got some knowledge around accounting and profit and loss, so... What were the bits that suddenly appeared that you maybe hadn't had the expertise in before and now you're suddenly doing everything as a business owner? I think for me, it's networking. I'm quite a a reserved person in general when it comes to meeting people. So it's finding work and going out and getting work. Um, So networking for me was a big thing that I hadn't ever really, I'd done a little bit, but not properly going out and trying to win business. So trying to sell myself to somebody that doesn't know me or trying to sell a business to somebody that doesn't necessarily know anything about your business is, was certainly a big step for me. So I went through six months or so of trying to go through referrals through people that already known me. And it was limited, I suppose. It's a limited amount of exposure that you get to different people, which then sort of made me think about what can I do differently. And... I was contacted by somebody from BNI, weirdly, and it gave me an opportunity to sort of have a look at networking in a different light. I was a bit reserved about this because I'd heard different stories about BNI. As we do. <laughs> as everyone does. But I went to meet a group of people who do business. And that was the main thing. And after talking to them about that, it was a vehicle to, for everyone else to get together. That's how it was in the end. So yeah, really enjoyed it. And that's so networking has become a bit easier for me now that I've now got to meet people who actually want to talk to me. <laughs> yeah, and it's quite funny because, you know, we've had we've had other people on our shows, uh, Sam Perry of So Social Media, and his was the same, you know, networking is critical for any business. And as you mentioned, you know, some people hear the BNI word and it is like they haven't heard it or they've heard good things or bad things about it. Personally, I don't think it matters what the networking group is. It, it's about you know, being out there networking, because it's a big part of growing your business, basically. Um, so yeah, if you're, you've got a business, you're new to it, or you've got a business that you're not getting enough sales or leads in, then get out there and find out your business networking groups. And don't be afraid if somebody else has said, oh yeah, don't go to that one. Don't Go and try it for yourself before you make a judgment as to which one is good for you or not. Um, I know personally, I benefit from being at the ones where you have an exclusive seat. You are the only architecture technologist in our group and you've now secured that slot. Nobody else can grab it from you. So, uh, yeah, it's novel. Go try it if you haven't tried it. Certainly better than going out to a breakfast meeting with four architects all sort of talking to everybody about the same thing. 
Yeah, but I think those those places have them, their own time as well because it gives you an opportunity to see what everyone else is doing. And as you go through your business, as it gets older, as you get more experience, I've got no doubt you'll probably see some people either you've worked with, been to school with, or you've you'll know from the various bits and pieces that you've done in your past that you'll see them again. Yeah. It's always a good place to catch up. It is. And the other thing with the, you know, because each has got their place, the thing with non-exclusive networking is there will be people there that do what you do. That is an opportunity for collaboration. So you can sometimes get new avenues of business out of working with somebody else that's already in your area. So you went networking, you knew the accounting and P&L what what do you do in terms of marketing and selling for your business? At the moment, I've got a website. I use social media, so I use Instagram and Facebook, uh, and they're quite good for reaching the domestic market. Instagram has weirdly become a very good for trades. So if you want to know where people are trades-wise, trades are always posting on Instagram because it's a way of them showing off what they do. So it's, that's quite useful for either a contact that I need to maybe look at a job or whether um, I can see other residential projects that are popping up, which I can maybe get involved in and offer a bit of advice, really. Um, so, yeah, marketing-wise. And then I do, I say, a bit of networking. Other than that, I kind of keep it quiet, really. Um, I try and go for the quiet, reserved approach where people pass my name around from people I've already worked with. Yeah. My biggest asset, really. And if there's... Um a piece of advice you could give to somebody who's maybe working in a job doing something they love, like you were with architecture, and they decide they want to still do that same role, if you like, but do it for themselves in their own business. What would you tell somebody who is at that beginning point, thinking about leaving their job and setting up on their own in the same environment? Plan. Prepare yourself don't think you know everything. Ask questions. Find somebody to talk to. Um, I was very fortunate. My partner's dad is a keen businessman and he gave me a lot of advice. He gave me how to budget properly and make sure that I worked backwards. So work out what you want to cover your financial year in terms of mortgages and everything else. Work backwards. If you plan properly, you won't fail. Um and that's my only, that's my advice really plan properly. Cool, brilliant advice David. So what's it all for? Why why is David in business with right building design? Where where is this going to take you? Ideally, retirement at 55. <laughs> um, love it. My my overall goal for the company is to probably be a employee owned company, but it's a long way off. But it, the idea is to retire quite young enough to enjoy it and be able to go motorbiking and adventuring around the world and skiing and all that sort of stuff really just to try and enjoy what's what's out there i've worked hard may as well get some back, something back so ultimate goal is lifestyle funding yeah now recently um you've been taking on some extra help if you like staff uh and i'm guessing this is fairly new for you what's been the best and worst about bringing on new people into your business the best part is that you can get work done without actually having to do it yourself the the harder part is training them training them to think about how to do it and breaking those sort of misconceptions that they have down a little bit and then retraining them and retraining the thought processes to realize that 
nothing's insurmountable as long as you break it into smaller chunks and then build it properly. Um, similar, I work in 3D modeling, so it's very similar to actually building. If you haven't got very good foundations, what you have at the end is very pretty, but it will probably fall down. Um, so I try and build foundationally up. It might be a bit boring to start with, but eventually the process has become a kind of habit and then you can build on that and get some really beautiful buildings out of very simple mechanisms and modeling. Cool. Brilliant. Thank you very much for those golden nuggets. So David, um, let the world know how they get hold of you, where you operate, who you're looking for. So uh, the best way to contact me is through my website, which is at rightbuildingdesign.co.uk. Um, my phone number and email addresses are all on there. And I'm looking to work with people who, from the domestic, looking for new build housing, uh, one-off housing, to commercial property who wants a new build uh, industrial shed or um, new office, maybe. That sort of thing, really. Internal fit-outs as well. So if you've got an existing commercial unit and you're looking for a refit, certainly something I would love, love to get involved in. Cool. And what area, is there any area that you can work in or is it limited to certain areas? So I'm working with companies all over Yorkshire at the moment and I'm travelling as far as Newcastle and Reading. So I do walk, work all over the country, but I'm probably predominantly focused in Yorkshire. Yeah. And I, I guess if you're going outside Yorkshire, then that would be for a much bigger job. Yes, yeah, so it's for particular clients who definitely want to work with me. Yeah. As we end, I'll do what I always do at the end of every show, David. I'm going to fire some quick questions at you to get a feel for what you like and who you are. So we already know you're into rugby, so I'm guessing rugby versus football because you mentioned both. But which one the most? Rugby, definitely. And why is that? It's hard work. When you're laying on the floor, having mud all over your face, it's hard work to get back up. And I think when you're working hard and pushing yourself off that floor, you can feel it at the end of the day. But once you once you have a win, it really feels like you've earned that. Yeah, brilliant. And um, let's see, mountain biking or motorbiking? Motorbiking. Yeah, because I know you do both. Yeah, motorbiking. Um, speed is one of it. Um but also the engineering side of things. I like to get inside a motorbike. I like to take it apart, put it back together. I like to know something that, again, I put together and worked and it works well. So, yeah. Fab. Um, let's see. Sun or snow? Snow. Recently, uh, I went on holiday for the first time to go snowboarding. Loved it. Uh, I loved going down a, a mountain under your own steam. And yeah, the feeling of ice underneath your board. Scary to start with, but rewarding once you've got the skill level there to ride all over it and yeah pick up some speed and away you go cool so let's see uh other than a home you live in because we know that they're quite um expensive and a big outlay what's been your most extravagant purchase in your life probably technology based i probably bought a computer it was probably really expensive more expensive than most of my other hobbies actually yeah um I purchased a uh, big PC for gaming and uh, rendering, that sort of thing. Um, and I built it kind of myself, really, as well. Spec'd it all out and went from there. Cool. Sounds just like my son. That's what he did. Massive gaming machine that he spec'd out and built himself. And the last one that I ask all of my guests, our show is called Sweat, Grit and Hustle. 
Which one resonates with you the most and why? Probably grit. You've got to get through it and it's hard work. You don't want to work too hard that you're sweating, but you want to be working hard just enough so that you're getting a reward out of it and not getting too stressed. (laughs) Brilliant. David, thank you very much for joining us today. It has been a pleasure. Thank you, Tracy. And next week, it'll be another content week where where I will bring to you some information to help you start or grow your business. Until then, have a great week. To keep up with what we're doing and what's coming on Sweat, Grit and Hustle, do visit us at www.sweatgrithustle.com.